dismantling systemic oppression, strengthening local economies, fostering equity and inclusion, cultivating communities for social good. We are motivated to leave the world a more just and compassionate place than we found it. A lofty goal? Maybe. An unreachable goal? Absolutely not. This is Impact Out Loud, the podcast that empowers bold impact for good, powered by Prospera Partners. Your hosts, Vicky Pazaban, Eileen Everett, and Ray Miller, aren't pulling any punches. They are diving deep, unpacking the challenges facing the nonprofit and social sectors, what is and isn't working, and offering systems-level solutions to address the truly transformational leadership that's needed for social enterprises to better their communities. This is the Impact Out Loud podcast. Now here are your hosts. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Impact Out Loud. I'm Vicki Pazabon from Prospera Partners. We are your Prospera Partners powered podcast. <laughs> and we're going to keep saying it because it just keeps making me giddy. <laughs> so welcome back. It's good to have you here. Eileen and Ray are both here. Hi, Eileen. How are you? Doing great. Grateful to be here. And I'm hoping that our podcast today will be super gay, just as our last um, session was yes. as well. Thanks. Yes. Bring it. Yes. And I'm excited to be here, too. I know we talked about who we are individually, but we get to dig into who we are together. And all right. I mean, I think that's exciting. Well, let's do it. Who are we together? Well, I'd the love to maybe us. put it back to you, Vicky, a little bit, just because last time you left off with your journey, right, of moving from executive director and then starting this journey of Prospera Partners rooted in this idea of transformational leadership, the I, we, it framework. And I really feel like that's at the heart of Prospera Partners and sounds like a good starting point, especially since you brought us all together. So maybe you can start us off and then we can build into, you know, how all the pieces started coming together. Yeah, well, I started my company very intentionally wanting to partner. And so I said, it has to have partners in the name and it has to be an intentional form of partnering. And that was super important to me because as I talked about last time, the collaborative nature that I inherently have, but also that I feel like that is the most effective way to move work forward as well. It's not always the easiest way, but it can be very effective. And so Prospera Partners literally was about partnerships, creating partnerships. And before I had a team and it was just me, I would partner with other consultants. And we still do bring in other consultants and experts to work with us on projects when necessary, because we don't all hold all the answers. There's no way that's possible. So I thought it was really important when I got started to reach out to other folks and partner with them on doing the work together. And so that is also built into who we are and who we've become as a team is the partnership piece. And I'm really proud of that and maintaining that integrity to the work and to the company. Vicki, I want to dig into the partnership idea, and I love that you brought that word integrity into it, because I think one thing that is really central to the ethos of our work together 
is being rooted in, in relationships and partnerships. And one of the things that seems really clear to me, even from our last session and, and in general for our work together is, Vicki, how you, I feel like really approach building relationships with people in such a non-judgmental way. It, it feels so strongly to me that when you meet someone new and when you're building a relationship with someone, you really try to put that judgment piece aside, which is so challenging because that's not the norm of our society. We always show up with judgment right away, consciously and unconsciously. And I think you really model this for yourself. And then it's the culture you've built for Prospera Partners of really striving to not be judgmental and allowing people to just be themselves. Where does that come from? Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know because I don't think about that. It's it's strange. Like I don't, hmm. I don't wake up and go, I'm going to be non-judgmental today. Or I didn't think about that years ago. I, I just feel like it's who I am and where I am in life and how I was raised. I'd love to jump in just knowing my personal experience with you. I feel like maybe what Eileen's touching on is you don't come from a place of judgment because you're coming from a place of value. Like I think your starting point is seeing the value and opportunity in people and organizations instead of that judgment, right? So maybe it's not about necessarily being non-judgmental, you're just starting off from seeing the value and opportunity instead of stepping into like what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to bring mm -hmm. in too yeah, my early experiences with Vicky as well. You know, I was an intern with Vicky and it wasn't actually her that hired me originally. It was someone else at the Alliance. But in my time there, Vicky was like, I'm going to hire you one day. <laughs> and, and it didn't happen until <laughs> 10 years later, but not, not quite. Cause I did, I did bring you in on a couple of different projects true, for true. assistance support. Yeah. But, but yeah. back to that same point, right. You were seeing a value in me. <laughs> we brought you back as an intern two years later. So I did see it's the true. value in you. That's interesting. And I don't want this to become Vicky's therapy session, but <laughs> I think, I, I think it's also honoring the multiple truths of just, I think we're reflecting back to the multiple truths of it comes across as striving for being non-judgmental and seeing the best in others and the possibility and the opportunities. It's all of it and, and more. Yeah. I, I'm also an inherently optimistic person. I always see the glass is always half full. There's opportunity in everything. If you're willing to put in the work to get to that opportunity. So that's how I've approached my life and my work. And so I think that that's how just, I just approach people. Like I see value inherently in everyone and I see that everyone has the potential and opportunity within them as well. I don't know. Maybe that's where it comes from. But I also feel like it comes from my immigrant background. I'm a first-generation kid. I grew up with immigrant parents from Italy. And that was instilled in me that there's value in who you are. And that immigrant experience of I, I was inherently different from a lot of the kids that I grew up with, 
right? They didn't have the same experience. They weren't speaking multiple languages in their homes. They had generations of their family surrounding them. I didn't. I only had my parents and my grandparents. And it's just an interesting perspective as an immigrant first-generation person. And we've talked about this multiple times when it comes to especially the anti-racism and anti-oppression work that we do and reflecting on our own experiences, which I know we're going to get into in another conversation. But yeah, I feel like that's just a strong piece of who I am is bringing that, the immigrant experience to who I am. And feeling it's the belonging piece too, because Eileen talked about that last time. I never felt like I belonged as a kid because of all those kids who were from generations of Canadian families, right? So I immediately gravitated to the kids that were like me who were the immigrant kids. And that is who I gravitate to all the time is those of us who never felt like we belonged. I wanted to say, I feel like that's actually one of our strongest shared threads, right? I think all of us have experienced and felt an otherness and are drawn to cultivating these spaces where we can feel that sense of belonging or welcoming or a space that just isn't set up in the ways that are maybe the default or harmful ways that we see kind of perpetuated in, you know, traditional work environments, things like that. So I really feel like that's a strong through line through all of us. Like I've brought up before, you know, being Jewish, but I'm also, you know, a large bodied person. And I've been that way since I was a kid. And, you know, other kids make sure, you know, (laughs) that you're a little bit different. So I think we all kind of connect to this, not necessarily feeling in place or at place in these environments we grew up in and knowing that I think, you know, in our last conversation, Eileen brought up, you know, bringing together the personal and the professional and how do we really show up as ourselves in the work. And I feel like that's one really powerful way that we all try to do that and recognizing we do have a lot of differences, but that means that we can cultivate spaces that are open and welcoming, knowing that we can kind of pinpoint the these things. Mm-hmm. And I I want to build upon that bringing it back to I we it of I think that I piece and I really appreciate Ray how you brought it up as that shared thread of that commonality that we all have of feeling that otherness and then what it also feels like to have that sense of belonging and how much then we can value that individually. I also want to name, I think, bringing it to a we piece that we all have a very shared interest in also, I think, speaking the truth that I think almost everyone in the world feels that sense of otherness. And I think there's a lot of, especially through media, including social media, this sense that that doesn't really exist for some folks. But I think the truth of the matter is that people in all different forms do feel a sense of otherness. And again, that shared feeling that humans have of we want to feel that sense of belonging. And that sense of belonging can come in many different places. And I think that's what we're always trying to facilitate 
with the groups that we work with is finding maybe a sense of belonging that we weren't expecting with this mm-hmm. group in building that community. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious if either of you have thoughts around also that idea of, yes, we have that shared feeling, but also even that truth telling that we do around I think that's common for almost everyone. I mean, I feel like almost everybody has that story of their own or maybe multiple stories of feeling that otherness when they were youth and and even when they're adults. But we often don't talk about that with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's true. And we certainly don't talk about it in our work situations. You know, it, there's... <laughs> How many of us worked in situations where you leave your baggage at the door when you enter the workplace and you leave your work at the door when you leave the workplace, right? So you are splitting yourself, as Eileen mentioned, splitting herself into two people in our last episode. That is what we have learned in our workforce is to leave your work at work and your personal life in your personal life at home. And we don't do that in our work. We bring our whole selves. As facilitators, as consultants, we bring all of that. I, I'll never forget, I, I was facilitating a group of folks and I <laughs> got super emotional of the content that was happening. And I had a co-facilitator at the time and I broke down and I turned and I stood behind the flip chart because I thought, I can't have these people see me break down. And I put up the wall and I lost the crowd. Like literally, I was like, oh no, I'm now I have to leave the room because now they're worried about me because I'm hiding back here. I have to go figure out how to deal with this. And I separated it. And now if I become emotional as a facilitator, I now have the tools within me to say, here's what's coming up and here's what we need to talk about. It's coming up for me. It's coming up in the space. It's coming up for other people. Let's go there. And I think that is an important thing of who we are. We bring ourselves to this work. I feel like that comes back to the systems change component of all of it, right? We talk about often how these structures that are set up set these expectations that can be oppressive and harmful to all of us, though they're set up to benefit some, right? But we know like what you're even talking about there, Vicky, is we expect leaders to always be that steadfast, mm-hmm. almost emotionless voice at the front of the room instead of tapping into that humanness that would let you have that connection with folks where you could go a layer deeper. So I feel like that's a unifying factor in our work, right? We talk about systems change because we want to cultivate the spaces where leadership doesn't mean being closed off to who you are. Right. I also think there's a a both and in here too of, and this is also why we co-facilitate because we are human beings. We bring our whole selves Mm -hmm. and the value of being able to hand things off to one another so that we can have our own, so that we're able to show up in the most supportive way possible then for the work that we're doing. I also want to name a little bit of a complexity here too, of also this balance of then when we get to the it piece, the work piece of also ensuring how do we have space for I and we, but even that I piece of 
if we're only bringing our emotional baggage, right? If we're only bringing the emotional side of things. We've also seen how that can get in the way yes. of the yes. work piece. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah. So I'm just curious. Yeah. Kind of how, how do we also, how do we have the both and and hold yeah. the complexity? Because it is that piece of we want people to see us as humans because we are humans and we're striving to bring our whole selves and model that for our clients. And there's also times that we might need to take care of ourselves. And we're going to encourage other people to have their own agency to take care of themselves too. Because mm-hmm. if that because th- that can take up all the space in the room as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for that reminder too. I mean, especially because often we're talking about nonprofit sector. And I just want to bring in that reminder to our listeners of we know that the nonprofit sector is often made up of folks who come from marginalized backgrounds, who maybe have lived trauma. And, you know, to Eileen's point earlier, I think most of us do as humans on the planet Earth, right? We've gone through a pandemic together at this point. But who we see make up the nonprofit sector, right? It's very heart and emotion driven work. So that comes into the work all the time, where if you're talking about like a corporate work environment, it comes down to like dollar and cents and execution. And that messiness isn't always there in the same way that we're navigating in the nonprofit sector. Right. And I have also been in nonprofits with clients and in the work that I used to do before I had my business where the emotion of the work was the only thing that was in existence. It was constantly at this high level of we're in constant crisis, we're reactionary, we have so much to do. It was overwhelming. Martyrdom becomes a problem in the work. And I, I, you know, I'm going to fully admit, I feel like at some point when I was an executive director, all of that happened for me because I felt like I had to do all of it. I had to be that leader. I had to know all the answers and I started to martyr myself for the work. And then I was like, why? Like, (laughs) this is not okay. And there has to be some accountability and there has to be a way to balance all of that. And we talk about it in our work as task and field. And I didn't think we were going to go there today, but I'm going to (laughs) because I think it's an important tool for people to hear about. And the task is the work that needs to be done, right? It's our to-do lists. It's our agendas. It's, you know, the strategies that we've talked about we need to do and all the goals and objectives and all those things. It's the calendar. It's that kind of stuff. And field is the emotional space. It's the stuff that is um, often unsaid. It is um, the emotional intelligence of the work. It is the, I'm losing words now, but. The intangible. Yeah. I love how you've referenced it to as like the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in the room often. Yes. And you have to balance those two things because you can't live in just the task and you can't live in just the field because you won't survive (laughs) because there are people who live in both spaces and we need to balance that out. And I just want to say, I think that comes back to our strength as a team. I think that is 
how we show up well to the work is we're able to hold both of those things, right? We're able to acknowledge the emotion or address the the elephant in the room, the field, while staying on task, right? Not getting so lost in that heaviness that we we can't move forward. I mean, often we're tackling really complex, heavy topics and it's things we could go into for weeks for months for years right these are areas that people have been navigating for generations so Hmm. we have to be able to you know dig into that emotional piece or the field or the intangible but also holding that balance right of how do we do that while looking ahead right and that task work is often a way of being accountable Mm-hmm. Right? And being able to say, we accomplished these things, we have to get to these other things as well. And if you constantly are living in that task space, it becomes oppressive. You are creating oppression because you're not allowing for the field and the emotional intelligence work to be done. I would also argue that if you're only living in the field space, that that can also be a sign of oppression too. Absolutely. My mind is also going to thinking about the intent of our podcast, which is peeling the curtain back to share, you know, kind of who we are, how we work, um, and maybe some of the, the unspoken things for us as consultants and facilitators. And so one of the unspoken things, I think I'm curious to hear if you all have thoughts, because I think it's, it's really challenging to put into words, but this balance that we have as facilitators of balancing task and field and the relationship and trust that we've built with one another and our, our broader facilitation team as well, that we are each holding different parts of the space when we're facilitating. And a good session for us is a space that it looks pretty flawless, seamless. People feel even though there's sometimes because we're facilitating hard, challenging conversations, there's some level of uncomfortableness, but not so much so that people aren't able to grow that I know that we've also seen how some folks see how that comes off because there's a lot of invisible work going on between all of us constantly before, during, and after that then sometimes folks go off and try to facilitate something of their own. We see this a lot with equity and inclusion in particular and justice. And then it becomes a total shit show because people don't have the same skill sets or trust. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious if either of you have thoughts around, I know that we've struggled with this as how do we also explain that when we pull off something that looks easy and flawless, it's also been the result of a lot of design and thoughtfulness in the implementation. I'm just curious if either of you have thoughts around that. Right. We should start off each session like, so we've met for literally hours, (laughs) had so many conversations. And oh, it might actually change in the middle of the session, right? I think there's... And often I want to name, we change things without people even noticing because we're responding to what's happening going on in real time. And it speaks to our skills, right? We've talked about how you know, we are used to maybe uncomfortable environments and maybe that's part of what you're naming is not everyone's comfortable with the uncomfortable. So they want to move towards like some sort of like finite answer or like definitive truth or something like that. And that's not usually our end goal, right? Our end goal isn't this like, all right, 
we solved racism, guys. That this is the answer. It's knowing that it is this evolving, continuous conversation that's going to take doing it over and over again. So I just I don't know. There's like pieces of that that I think aren't always clear to the folks that engage with us. Like, right. They're looking for maybe that checklist that we, we always are reminding folks, like there's not a checklist and we have a magic checklist, a magic checklist, right? (laughs) Someone else has solved racism, right? Somewhere. Um, But like, we know each other fairly well at this point, it's taken a lot of conversation. It's taken trust in one another and the comfort Mm -hmm. with being uncomfortable and knowing that there's, always going to be unknowns. Well, I would say this. I think it's two things that we bring that our clients and the communities that we facilitate see. It's trust on an internal level because we trust each other in the form of we have each other's backs. That is key. And they see that when we're there together. They feel it, they know it, because we see it, feel it, and know it within ourselves. I know that if I don't have within me to show up for this particular facilitation exercise in the next 10 minutes, I know, Eileen, you're going to pick it up. You're going to do it for us, or Ray, or whatever. I know that. The other piece of it is that we ask our communities that we facilitate to trust the process because we have trust in the process, right? So we're going to ask them to get uncomfortable. We're going to ask them to do things that feel different, look different, and to trust that it's okay that it feels that way and that we have their backs in that process. And I think that those two things, and I I mean, I'm going to toot our own horns here, but it's not easy to replicate right? You creating a facilitation team and I've co-facilitated with lots of folks and it's not always easy. It's not always the best facilitation that I could have done because there isn't trust built. We need to have trust and that is where it starts. Yes. And I can't imagine, like, I think that's the naming the the team and partnership piece, and I think it's a theme that keeps coming up in all of our conversations is, you know, these linear systems or oppressive systems really put it on individualism, right? Like you within you are the only one who can be at the top or have all the answers or you should be in charge or all of these things. And it creates like a ton of pressure, a ton of imbalance, and it doesn't make for that space where you can ease into self. And again, even as that person in the front of the room right now, there's all this pressure on you individually to hold all this space for a really challenging conversation. And I do think like you named one of our strongest skills is knowing how to like pass the mic, step back, right? Eileen has used great framing of stepping up, stepping back, stepping to the side or stepping away. And I think we're all kind of doing that constant navigation as well, because it lets us kind of take the space that we know we can step into and not feel that pressure of like, well, now you must say something because you're Mm -hmm. the facilitator, the sole facilitator. Right. Yeah. Well, we have to end. 
I'm sorry, we have to end our conversation there, but I'm sure there will be plenty more to come. But before we do, we're going to end with our segment of an aha moment or a what the fuck moment from our conversation today. So I'm going to start with you, Eileen. It's a combination one of, I think I now have a better understanding of why we all feel so tired after we facilitate because it's holding so many things. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a reminder, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's something to celebrate because it takes work and it's ongoing work and it's all that goes in before we facilitate something. And again, during and the after the debriefing that we do and the lessons that we learned that we can move forward. Mm -hmm. Ray, how about for you? I think my what the fuck comes from people's like misunderstandings around what it actually takes to move work forward, right? Like we'll get people who want to do one meeting or one session or one day or one month. And I think over and over again, we've learned like this is long term. This is constant. This is participatory, right? So I think I get frustrated around kind of the narrow mindset around what this work really takes, where we've really learned how valuable it is to have that longevity, that depth and commitment to keep showing up. Mine is WTF with the checklists. Like, can you just stop (laughs) expecting that you're going to have all the answers because you've ticked off all the boxes? It's not going to happen. If anyone solved racism, please email Prospera Partners. (laughs) Info at ProsperaPartners.org. We're happy to look at your checklist. (laughs) Yes. Thank you both so much. Thanks for listening to Impact Out Loud, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Impact Out Loud podcast, the podcast that empowers bold impact for good, powered by Prospera Partners. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Impact Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts and follow Prospera Partners on your favorite social media. If you are inspired to make community-based solutions and systems change, Prospera Partners offers workshops and programs that are open to all. For more information, visit prosperapartners.org. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well and do good.